Welcome to Humanly, the podcast providing allied health and integrative medicine practitioners with the most up-to-date, evidence-based and clinically relevant information. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Hello and welcome to Humanly. My name is Daniel Reuters and today with me I have Professor Mark Cohen. Welcome, Mark. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Just a little bit of uh, background for anyone listening who doesn't know who you are, and I'm sure that most people listening would be very familiar with your work. So you're a medical doctor, university professor, an author, a poet, international speaker, and wellness trailblazer. You spent more than 30 years practicing and researching holistic health. You're the founding board member of the Global Wellness Summit, the founder of the Extreme Wellness Institute, and co-founder of the Bathe the World Foundation. You've got degrees in Western physiology and psychological medicine, and PhDs in Chinese medicine and electrical and computer systems engineering. Now, Dr. Mark, you've actually published more than 100 peer-reviewed scientific papers over the years and many books and technical texts on wellness and natural medicine. You're the co-editor of the first academic book on understanding the global spa industry, co-author of the landmark text, Herbs and Natural Supplements, an evidence-based guide, and I'm sure that most people are very familiar with that uh, piece of work. And you've also done some uh, various other books. You've authored and illustrated a children's book, The Beautiful Mare and the Boy Who Gave Thanks, and the forthcoming book, Bing and Bang Begin. You were previously head of department of complementary medicine at RMIT University, where you oversaw the teaching of Chinese medicine, osteopathy, and chiropractic. And you also developed the online Master of Wellness program. So you're very, very well accomplished. I'm sure uh, there's probably a lot more to add there. I hope I haven't missed out anything too important. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, that's, that's a good summary. Thanks. Um, and, and I don't know if everyone knows about me. I think naturopaths know who I am because they've studied for my textbooks. But I, um, yeah, I think the, the wider consumers still don't know who I am. So I'm not sure who your audience is, but I wouldn't assume that everyone knows me. Well, most of the listeners would, would be... Um, naturopaths, nutritionists, allied health practitioners. So, yeah, I'm sure there are probably some people who aren't completely familiar with your work. But, uh, yeah, still uh, I would say that 90% of our audience would be very, very familiar with with what you've done. Which is great. Great to speak to a, a warm audience, yeah. Absolutely. So, Mark, I understand that uh, you're in Victoria and things have been fairly interesting down there at the moment. Um one of the things that I actually saw uh, that you were involved in was the COVID Doctors Network. Did you want to speak a little bit to that at all? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm happy to talk about whatever you whatever you feel is good. But um, yeah, the um, COVID Doctors Network is a group of doctors in Victoria, including you know my mentor, my original one of my original teachers, and my um, PhD supervisor John Murtar, who wrote the book on general practice that I used to teach out of uh, teaching medical diagnosis. Um, but there's a, a group of concerned doctors that um, wrote an open letter to the government just saying really that the lockdown measures are not based on science and they're damaging much, much more than they're hurting, um, than they're helping. And um, so, yeah, I've helped promote that. Their, their website did get taken down and their Facebook page got erased and they've just um, put that back up. And it's basically a response from doctors to um, what's going on. And I think Melbourne has the most draconian lockdown measures of any city on earth. And um, in the last week, I've just, um, as I do, I mean, I, my whole life, I've never been into opposing what I don't want and, you know, getting into battles against, you know, big government or, you know, vaccines or fluoride or pesticides. Um, I'd rather work towards what I do want. And um, very spontaneously in the last week, I've got together with um some other really concerned Melburnians who are, you know, super professionals, but they're all festival lovers. And we've created an online protestable, which is a sort of a legal online protest where we broadcast for um, 12 hours a day from 11, 11 a.m. to 11, 11 p.m. And we're just building out a website now that will have a whole lot of resources, including, you know, and it's not just the, the COVID doctors um, 
letter to Dan Andrews, the ACNEM and AMA, which if your audience is you know, natural health practitioners, they should know about, you know, the Australian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine and the Australasian um, Integrated Medicine Association, of which I was president for nearly, well, more than eight years in the early 2000s, have also just penned a, a letter um, to the government saying, you know, natural medicines are actually being not just ignored, but actively suppressed. And um, I've also been advocating um, personally um, for um, hydrothermal therapies, which is just hot baths, showers, saunas, steam rooms, etc., as a effective treatment for um, respiratory viral infections, including COVID nineteen, and um, that's also actively being suppressed. And um, at the start of the the pandemic, I was writing articles saying that this is a really safe, tried, true, effective. Um, way to boost your immune system by raising you know, your body temperature using a hot bath or a sauna or a shower. And my posts were getting censored and I was getting trolled and people were saying, oh, you're irresponsible, this is not science-based, you know, no respectable doctor would ever say this. And that got me so riled up that I ended up writing a, a peer-reviewed paper summarising that evidence. And that's been out for a couple of months now, um, fully peer-reviewed, and it reviews the evidence for the the. Um, the positive health benefits and the immune boosting benefits and the antiviral um, effects of heat. And um, that evidence comes from 600 million years of evolution because all fish, birds, insects, reptiles and mammals raise their body temperature when they have a viral infection. And there's a wealth of historical, epidemiological, um, laboratory, clinical trial evidence, including randomised control trials that show that, that heat, whether it's from a sauna or a hot spring or a hot bath, can um, not just um, prevent but also treat uh, respiratory viral infections. So I think there, there needs to be um, you know, more voices from the medical fraternity and I think the ACNM letter and the AMA letter are open to um, you know, doctors to sign. The, um, the COVID Doctors Network letter is open for anyone with an APRA registration, so that doesn't cover naturopaths, unfortunately, but it does cover, um, you know, dietitians and you know any ARPA registered health professional and it's coviddoctorsnetwork. I think it's .com um, where they can go and sign that petition and um, I think it's really important that we start speaking out from an evidence-based perspective um, on all the different ways that you can improve your health and well-being um, and you know um, boost your immunity and that, that goes you know, whether it's hydroxychloroquine and zinc or um, ivermectin or using heat or using nutritional remedies um vitamin c vitamin d um, inhaled um, um, hydrogen peroxide this, there are so many natural treatments that have just really aren't being heard and of course if you go against you know who guidelines um you get censored because that goes against their community um, guidelines, any information that goes against a WHO statement. And right now on the WHO website, they say um, brazenly and falsely that you cannot raise your body temperature in a, no matter how hot or um, your shower or bath is. And that's just not true. And um, I've just posted, a, um, created a post, you know, in my own bath with a thermometer, just proving that's false. And anyone who, you know, has a thermometer in a hot bath can also prove that statement to be false. But because that's a statement that's on the WHO website, if you contradict that, um, that gives Facebook or all, you know, all these big tech giants um, the ability to um, delete you because you're going against community guidelines. So I think there is a crisis of truth and, and medical knowledge and um, you know, doctors and health practitioners really need to speak out um, for the good of you know, their patients in the wider community. It's really interesting that you say that many doctors are being silenced, um, especially with those methods that you were mentioning before, because we're sort of given this information that uh, you know there's only a very limited number of things that can actually help with uh, with treating coronavirus. But you're mentioning that heat can actually do that, and by having a warm bath, you can raise your your core body temperature enough to overcome the virus or are you saying more from a preventative method, well, uh, well, measure or multiple heat works on multiple mechanisms i mean one heat itself can destroy a virus now you can't kill a virus because the virus is not alive in the first place but specifically coronaviruses have a, a lipid envelope and they're very very fragile so 55 degrees it'll just melt like you know coconut um, oil going from solid to you know liquid when it heats up it just melts and destroys it 
And they're actually using heat in America to sterilise police cars where Ford have installed this heater unit inside the car where the car will heat itself up internally for 55 to 55 degrees and that'll you know, sterilise it from any coronavirus. Now, in a sauna, you know, you're 70, 80, 90, 100, 120 degrees even, you know, in Europe they have, you know, saunas that hot. Um, so there's no way that a virus can be um, a lot, you know, survive or, you know, not be destroyed in that temperature. So you can't transmit a, a virus within a sauna. Um, so that's the direct effect of heat. Yet, despite that, pretty much most of the public saunas in the world right now have been shut down. So there's a direct effect on the virus. There's also a, a direct effect on our first line of immunity, which is our skin and mucous membranes. And with respiratory viruses, that first line of immunity is the mucous membranes of our nasal sinus, you know, nasal cavity and sinuses. And to ensure the health of, you know, and the strength of that immune defence, you need a warm, moist environment. So that's why, and that's why respiratory viruses typically come in winter when the air is cool and dry, because that way the the mucus can dry out, and the, you know you get little cracks in the in the um, membrane, and also you're not having as much um, vitamin D, and you know, the food might not be as fresh. A lot of reasons, but um, certainly that first line of defence is enhanced by a warm, moist environment. And that can be improved by just increasing the humidity of your house. Ideally, 50% is an ideal, you know, plus or minus 10%. Um, but, so, but in a steam room, um, in a sauna, that raises the temperature of your, your nasal cavity and sinuses, which in winter are the, is the coldest place in your body because as well as you know, for breathe, you know, being used for breathing, your nasal cavity and the turbinates um, where the air you know, t- um, goes turbulent, fluent and mixes, it actually is really important for uh, a heat exchange, so it warms the air and humidifies the air. Um, so again, you can do that externally, just like heat. You can use a, a hot bath or a sauna to outsource the energy of fever to the environment. Now, I mean, normally if we get sick, we we mount a fever, but that takes a lot of metabolic energy and it's exhausting. And that's a lot of the reason why we're so tired when we're sick, because just raising our body temperature is exhausting. But if we outsource that to a bath or a hot tub or a, a, a sauna. Um, you, know, you, you save that energy, but you still get the advantage of you know, increased heat shock proteins and um, a whole cascade of um, biochemical, physiological and psychological uh, events that actually boost your immune system, makes T-cells um, more um, active so they can migrate, their membranes become more active so antigens can be presented better on antigen-presenting cells. There's a whole lot of um, activities that, that heat would activate your um First line of defence, which is your mucous membrane, and normally you have um, two layers of mucus in your um, sinus cavity. You've got uh, like a thin watery layer on the top, and that captures pollen and particles and pathogens. And then under that, you've um, oh, so, sorry, the, so the, the watery layer is actually closest to the cilia, and that, that allows the cilia to keep sweeping. It's almost like you know, wheat um, blowing in the wind. So that watery layer above it, that is a, a sticky layer, and that's what captures the pollen and the particles and the viruses. And um, if that watery layer dries out and, that, and you, your cilia can't keep beating, it's like 10, 12 beats um, per second, um, and keeps that that um, mucus flowing towards the back of your throat so you can cough it up um, or swallow it, um, if that is inhibited, and that can be inhibited by air pollution, can be inhibited by um, cigarette smoke, and it's inhibited by um, cold, dry conditions. So um, that's the first line of defence, that heat in a moist environment will, will improve. And then the second line of defence is your innate immunity, your T-cell responses, uh, macrophage responses, and heat also. Um, raising your body temperature will make that more active. And you know, as mammals and you know, highly evolved mammals, we have very sophisticated thermoregulatory mechanisms to, to balance our, our body temperature, um, whereas a virus doesn't have any. Um, you know, a virus just has to sort of survive in the environment and um, viruses do well in the cold, but they just don't do well in heat. So there's there's multiple reasons why um, heat can boost your immunity. And I think probably the, the least discussed, um, uh, but I think probably the most important are the psychological benefits. Just, just knowing that there's something you can do at home, which doesn't really cost you much money, um, doesn't take much you know, equipment or training um, that you can do at home to boost your own immunity and it's actually relaxing and one of the the benefits of a hot bath or a sauna um, is that it ha- helps you sleep better and, I, and I've done research on saunering we, we published a I've got a PhD student right now up in Brisbane 
um, Dr. Joy Hussain, who's a medical doctor, but she's doing her PhD on sauna bathing. We've just completed a clinical trial that we're writing up. But we've published some, you know, some review articles on the clinical benefits of dry sauna bathing. But also um, we did a global sauna survey where we surveyed people around the world and say, you know, why do you sauna? What do you do? What benefits do you get? And the overwhelming response was that, um, I mean, people do it because they, they love it and they, they feel better, but they sleep better. And once you sleep better and you're relaxed, that helps overcome sort of fear and anxiety because you're doing something positive. Um, and if you're sleeping better, that just helps everything um, because sleep has an impact. And, and I'm a big fan of permaculture. And Bill Mollison, one of the founders, used to say, when you get the basic things right, everything else can go right by itself. And, you know, sleep is such a, a basic thing. And so is water and hydration. Um, and I'm a big um, advocate and you know, really passionate about water. But in terms of, you know, using heat, um, the evidence is just overwhelming. I mean, there are controlled trials showing that um, people who have regular saunas um, prevent um, having a half the incidence of uh, respiratory viral, viral infections, the flu, than people who don't. Um, there are you know, controlled trials um, showing that you can use heat to treat, um, actively treat um, symptomatic um, effects of respiratory viral infections and you get symptomatic relief and you get, you know, shorter illness. And you know, it's been used, heat's been used since, since we had fire and since we hopped into a hot spring, which is ever since, you know, humans were humans. Um, so the fact that this treatment is being denied the public, you know, with public um, bathing facilities and sauna facilities being shut and even, even the beaches um, being shut down, we, we can't um, go and um, improve our um, health, you know, going to the beach. And there's a whole other aspect of you know, the virome and the microbiome and, the, and what I call the bathing biome. Because when we bathe in water, I mean, water's never really sterile. So when you bathe in water, and especially when you socially bathe or bathe in the ocean, you're exposing yourself to a whole wealth of genetic material, um, you know, DNA fragments, just like you do when you go forest bathing, where you exchange um, biological information with nature. And, you know, that's now being researched and we're realising that the virome is like this whole um, microbial internet where viruses become like little, literally little messages with, with, which are packaged in an envelope. Um, and you know, inside the envelope is, is the message and um, these aren't living entities. These are just like communication devices. And um, sometimes, you know, like a catchy song would catch on in our human communication, a catchy um, piece of information will catch on in, in biological information and it gets, you know, reproduced and goes out there. But, um, you know, viruses are not our enemy. Uh, bacteria are not our enemy. I mean, they, they are who we are. I mean, there's more bacterial genetic information in our bodies than human information and there's more viral information in our body than bacterial information. So, you know, we, we live in this whole microbial ecology and, the, the more we understand and realise that and respect that and um, enhance um, the, the health of our internal and external ecosystem, um, the better we're going to be and, and promoting good health. And that's a really basic message, but I don't think it's been um, told enough. Um, you know, we're made to think that you know, viruses are out there, you know, they're waiting to jump on us and kill us and you know, we can't touch anything, we have to sterilise everything. And it's really an anti-life movement, whether we use you know, disinfectants and antibiotics and pesticides and um, you know, sprays to spray down everything and masks to cover ourselves and you know, thinking about, about other people as the enemy. Well, that's just not the case. And um, that's really concerning because fear itself is very powerfully immunosuppressive. And, um, you know, if you've studied physiology, you know, there's the autonomic nervous system where, where you have the fight and flight response, which is, you know, which is what fear generates. And that's, that prepares you for external action, you know, to fight for your life or run from, you know, run from danger, run for your life. And if you're fighting for your life or running for your life, you don't want to waste energy digesting food or healing yourself. You know, that comes later. That comes in rest and digest mode when you're safe in your cave. Um, and, Right now, there's so many people in this um, fight and flight mode permanently, and and the fear porn and the you know the circus we see in the media um, really driving down these um, fearful messages um, is directly immunosuppressive, and I think it's really important that we counter that. And um, you know, hanging out in a hot bath, or even better, hanging out in a hot tub with friends, um, doing it socially or in a sauna, is one of the most powerful things you can do. Why do you think that more doctors aren't recommending? heat therapy uh, it seems like there's sufficient evidence there and it's 
simple, it's safe to do, it's cheap and affordable, all the things that you've already mentioned. Why, in your opinion, aren't more doctors recommending something like this? I mean, it's a great question. I think a lot of doctors, I mean, that we do basic physiology and immunology, but heat therapies are not really taught in medical school. So a lot of doctors aren't aware of it. They're not aware of the research. Um, and also, I think heat therapies have been considered like just a luxury that, you know, you go to a spa or, you know, it's okay, you go to the gym, you do a sauna, but they haven't really um, understood the benefits. And it's only in the last probably five years where we've had a couple of um, big epidemiological studies out of uh, Finland, which is sort of the sauna capital of the world. In fact, you know, sauna is the only Finnish word in the English language. But there were some big epidemiological studies where they followed a group of men for 20 years and they classified them according to how many saunas they took. And they found out that if you took you know, three to four saunas a week, you had uh, a less chance of dying of all causes. So it reduced all-cause mortality. But it also reduced cardiovascular disease, reduced Alzheimer's disease, reduced um, pneumonia and respiratory infections, um, respiratory viruses. So th- this research, which has been well done, has, is now starting to go into the medical literature. But we know that it takes about 20 years for something to go from the medical literature into clinical practice. So I think a lot of doctors don't know about it, and um, you know it, there has been a, a sort of a move to sort of sideline it or actively suppress that information. As I say, you know, when I've been posting about this, um, my posts get deleted because I go against community guidelines because the fact checkers and WHO says you can't raise your body temperature with um, a hot shower or sauna. Um, so. If I say, that, and you've done the research to say that it can. Well, it's not my research. I'm just repeating all this. You know, you look up any study on saunering, and they'll say, you know, we took body temperature or rectal temperature often if they're doing good research, and they show that the body temperature goes up to you know 38, 39, 39.5 as a temporary measure. And, mm. I, and I think it's important to stress that um, if you ra- artificially raise your body temperature, and you, can, you do the same with exercise, but then you're generating waste products. But you know, if you're artificially raising your body temperature using um, a hot bath or a sauna. Um, that that um, needs to be balanced by a rest period, coming back into homeostasis. And when you're coming back into balance, you're training your body to turn off the inflammatory response, to turn off that cytokine storm, to, to put the brakes on a, in a runaway immune system. So it's not just the heating up that's powerful, it's also the cooling down that's really powerful. And um, I, I just need to stress as well, because anyone can prove you know, this themselves, they can just get into a hot bath, you know, um, take their temperature and get to the point where, you know, where they're you know, com- what I call comfortably uncomfortable and show that, you know, their body temperature is up. But heat is a really powerful force and there are what I call common sense safety principles that can be used. And, you know, you say, why don't doctors um, promote it? And it's because heat doesn't need a, a medical prescription or even medical supervision. This is something you can do at home. It's something you can do to the, at your gym. Um, but, as I say, there are some common sense safety principles and they are you need to stay hydrated so you know, with good quality water and you know, if you're you know, sweating a lot and you need to you know, rehydrate, you really want to have high quality water um, so you, you don't dehydrate. You want to take care because you know, heat can burn you. So if you're in a sauna, you don't put your hand on the rocks. It's, you know, it's sort of obvious. Um, also to take care with changes in posture. Because if you're lying down and you're vasodilated and you're hot, if you stand up suddenly, all the blood's going to drop down into your legs and you're going to get faint or dizzy um, and maybe even pass out. So you just need to be careful with sudden changes in posture. You also need to know your, your own limits and your limits will change from day to day and change on according to your moods and they'll change according to how often you've exposed yourself to heat because your resilience um, to heat will build up quite quickly. Um, so you really need to know your own limits. And not to force yourself. And I, I, I talk about not going beyond the state of forced mindfulness. And it's similar to, you know, if you're doing a yoga stretch, you get to a point where you're at the limit of your stretch and it's sort of comfortably uncomfortable. You know, it's, um, it's you, know, you know that if you just breathe and concentrate, you can be there and it's okay. But if you're going to push yourself further, you'll hurt yourself. Well, extremes of temperature are similar to that. So you don't want to go beyond that state of being comfortably uncomfortable. And or the, the the state where your body starts to tell you, hey, you know, it's getting hot. Maybe we should go out. And I mean, that same thing happens. You know, you, you're at the beach or you're, you know, you're in the sun, and you, eventually your body will say, hey, it's getting really hot. We need to cool down. So you need to be aware of that. Um, so an awareness is really important. So you need to monitor, um, you know, tune into your senses and monitor your own tolerance, and um, trying to avoid extremes of temperature when you're under the influence of drugs or alcohol that impair that judgment. 
and people have died in saunas. And uh, most of the re- reported deaths are actually associated with alcohol use, because if you're you know you're drunk, you you know you lose sense. I mean, first of all, you get dehydrated when you're drunk, but also you lose the sense of hey, I've gone beyond my limits. And finally, the, you know, to rest, to have that you know um, balancing period, whether you're going from hot to cold, that you actually spend as much time in homeostasis as you, you know, going back into homeostasis as you have done um, sort of going out of homeostasis with external heat. So, you know, drinking, taking care, knowing your limits, being aware and resting. Um, it's just common sense principles. I mean, people know how to do this themselves, but, you know, they need to have common sense. So, you know, when you pick up a hot coffee cup, um, you can be aware that, you know, how hot it is to touch it and you don't, you know, if, you're gonna, if it's going to burn your fingers, you'll put it down or you know how hot it is when you sip it. You know, if it's going to burn your lips, you sort of you know, do it slowly. Well, heat is like that. You need to tune into your body and your body will, will let you know. Um, so there is a bit of self-responsibility involved. But again, you know, doctors don't prescribe it. And there is no prescription to say this is how much heat I sh- should prescribe you because it depends on the temperature, the humidity, um, the time that you spend, but also your own tolerance. So there's a very subjective factor in there. And doctors sort of aren't that comfortable prescribing stuff that it's up to their patients to administer and supervise that was exactly what i was about to ask you how long someone actually needs to spend either in a sauna or or a bath but what i hear you saying is it's it's really a self-regulated thing listening to your body and uh you know spending as much or as little time in there as you feel comfortable is that right um well as much as the time when you feel comfortably uncomfortable because if you just if you just have a a tepid bath and that's really nice thing to do just have have a thermoneutral bath that's very relaxing because, you know, the, the weight of your skeleton is upheld and, you know, you can relax probably more in a bath than you can in the air. But if you want to go to the extremes of temperature, then, um, you know, you do need to get to the point where you're comfortably uncomfortable. But you're right, there, there's no um, length of time you can prescribe. And it really depends because water will transmit heat 25 times more effectively than air. So if you're in a hot bath, I mean, there's no way you can't sweat and there's no way you can really cool down. So, a, but a hot bath at forty-two degrees feels really hot. Um, whereas a steam room, where there's a bit more air, you can tolerate a steam room at forty-eight or fifty degrees. Um, where if there's less humidity, like in a dry sauna, you can experience that up to you know people roughly seventy to eighty would be typical. But a dry sauna can go up to one hundred and twenty degrees, and you can tolerate that. So, um, the water and heat can't sort of be separated. It depends on the humidity and the temperature. And then it's a factor of time. And, and I'd recommend that people monitor the time, whichever heat source they're using, and know, okay, that today, you know, took me 15 minutes till I started sweating and I, till I felt a bit uncomfortable and took me, you know, 15, 20 minutes to cool down. So then they've got a baseline and they can find that, you know, the next day they might start sweating earlier and they might be able to stay longer before they feel uncomfortable because their body will adapt. And human bodies have been adapting to temperature changes ever since we were humans. Um, our European ancestors, you know, as winter progressed, you know, became more cold tolerant, and as summer, you know, progressed, they became more gradually more heat tolerant. And we're still we're sort of unraveling unraveling the um, physiological effects of that. How you know brown fat can um, increase due to cold exposure, and then it just goes away if you don't use it. So you know, the brown fat, which is the mitochondrially dense fat that's around your blood vessels it acts like a heater unit for your for your blood um around your great vessels um can be built up um uh, if you have regular cold exposure yeah when i went to medical school we were taught that brown fat was only in infants and hibernating animals that's right um because of course infants have a very big surface area to volume so they radiate a lot of heat and they need to generate their own internal heat so they have brown fat but you know once we're adults we don't let ourselves get that cold you know, we have clothes and we have cars and we have central heating and, um, you know, we know how to go inside. And so it's, it's, you know, rare that we actually let ourselves get really cold that we have to stimulate that brown fat. And um, when, when they were researching this, they actually thought, you know, brown fat was, resi- you know, vestigial and, and wasn't useful in adults. And they, they did studies on Lapland reindeer herders. And they noticed in the summer that their brown fat deposits were minimal. But as the, as the winter progressed, they started putting on brown fat. So by the time midwinter was... Um, there, they could sleep outside with their reindeers in you know, very sub sub zero temperatures and be comfortable because of their own internal heat production. So yeah, we're still we're still got a lot to learn about our thermoregulatory capacity, but we certainly know that um, our our ability to regulate our temperature is way greater than a virus. 
and um, a virus will be destroyed at temperatures that we can tolerate quite comfortably. You mentioned before about the importance of staying hydrated and the type of water that someone's drinking. So obviously we want to direct people away from drinking water straight out of the tap. Um, I actually drink distilled water myself but um you know some people use the reverse osmosis filter and other people use like a, a vortex to actually mm-hmm. um create movement within their water what's your thoughts on what the best type of water is to drink yeah. uh, how to prepare it so that's, that's um, how much should people be consuming series of podcasts on this i've just created an online course 14 part online course just about water and um, I've actually created a water company because after being a, being a medical doctor for 30 years and half that time as a professor, it was like, what can I do in the world that's going to be, have the biggest impact? And just like I was saying about sleep as being the basic thing, when you get that right, things go right. When you get your water right, um, you know, things can go right because water is the infrastructure of our body. You know, we're 70% or two-thirds water by mass or by volume. But um, if you count our molecules, we're 99.9% water. Because, you know, water's like two, high, two tiny hydrogen atoms and an oxygen. Um, and all the other biomole- biological molecules, you know, nucleic acids and protein and collagen are massive and they're all in this liquid matrix. So water is 99% of our bodies. And um, it's not just what we drink. It's actually probably more important to, to pay attention to what we bathe in. And especially if you're using heat. And they've done, they did research in the 1990s and they've followed it up where they were looking at the release of chlorine and um chlorine disinfection byproducts like chloroform and trihalomethanes etc and you know we know that they they are toxic i mean that's the reason why they put chlorine in our drinking water is because chlorine is so toxic that it'll kill bacteria um, at 0.2 to 0.6 parts per million at the point of use when it comes out of your tap Um, but what um, also happens with chlorine is it's volatile and when you heat water above about 25 degrees it um, becomes volatile and you breathe it in and you can also absorb it very rapidly through your skin so if you're in a hot shower or a hot bath well this was a research they did to study how much chlorine do you get in your system when you have a hot shower or a hot bath from breathing or from um, dermal absorption compared to drinking it so they got people to drink a liter of chlorinated water and when they monitored their blood they couldn't actually find any chloroform or trihalomethanes in their blood because it was all filtered out by the liver know goes for the um you know for the um, liver before it goes into the general circulation and the liver you know takes a hit from that but the liver uh, filters that out and then they did a study where they got people to have a hot shower and breathe fresh air um but you know have the water exposed to their skin and straight away they had chloroform trihalomethanes appearing in the blood because it goes straight through the skin bypasses the liver and appears in their blood then they did another study where they um, had people wear it like a wetsuit and have a hot shower, but they breathed the air from the shower. And again, straight after the hot bath or the shower, um, just through um, inhalation, you get chloroform, trihalomethanes, other dis- disinfection byproducts appearing in your blood because it's bypassed the liver. It's gone through the large service area. So you know, it, it is really important not just to drink um, quality water, to, to bathe in quality water. And how are how are people doing that? Because I I'm not sure if many people would even realise that or have something fixed to their tap to actually filter out any of those substances. Yeah, so so how does someone do that? There's a few ways. Um, I mean, I've actually got a company selling beautiful water products, which are, you know, I don't, don't have to do a commercial plug here, but I mean that's water that's filtered, structured, balanced, blessed, and can be given away for free. But um, if you want to do what's, it, at what's hot, the name of that company? Beautiful Water. We're just about water. to launch. I'm selling, and I sell whole home water filters. So that creates beautiful water, which is a filtered, structured, balanced, blessed, and can be given away for free. But but if you if you don't have a water filter at home and you still want to um, have a chlorine free bath, all you need to do is you know fill up your hot bath, but a little bit hotter than you would. Turn the um, fan on and wait thirty minutes, and the chlorine will evaporate. So you come back thirty minutes later, and the fan's on, so you don't have to breathe it all in. And then you can have a, you know, a dechlor. And I, that's what I do. It um, you have a dechlorinated bath that way, and that's what I do when I go to hotels and I travel, because um, sometimes you know the water is so chlorinated, you know, you just don't want to breathe it um, or bathe in it. But um, you know, if you have it set up really hot, you know, don't don't burn yourself. Because, you know, common sense is um, is a really good thing. Um, and then just put the fan on and then come back once it's evaporated off. So that's that's a really basic way. Another one is um, there are really good 
really not expensive KDF um, filters you can get for your shower head. Now, I don't sell them because there's, there's a lot of them on the market, but they can help remove chlor- um, chlorine from your shower. And then what I promote a really high-quality whole house water filter. So you have that on the mains line. So all, all your taps are producing water that's being filtered and um, the filters I'm um, sourced uh, actually structure the water. So they have like a wart, um, vortex sort of effect on the water. So it turns calcifer into aragonite. So it actually doesn't get rid of the minerals, but it does um, reduce their solubility um, or well, actually increases their solubility, so it reduces their ability to form scale. So it actually can descale your kettles and your hot water service. And um, if you've got hard water, you know you know it's really hard to get things clean, and you get a so- lather. You know, soap doesn't lather, and you get sort of soap, soapy film on things, also on your skin and your hair. So by having bathing in water that, that has been structured can actually improve um, your skin, your hair. Um, certainly, having chlorine-free water will, will improve the microbiome of your skin. And there's some really fascinating research there. I mean, when I went through medical school, you know, 30 plus years or nearly 40 years ago, um, we were taught that the skin had a surface area of 1.8 square metres. And they use that, you know, for calculating burn surface areas and stuff. But then a study came out um, last year, I think it was in Nature Medicine, and they said, well, you know, we know that the gut has a big surface area that for interacting with microbes because the gut has the villi, which like little fingers that increase the surface area of the gut enormously. But then they, they said, well, the skin has these like inverted villi every time you have a hair follicle or a sweat gland. And that hair follicle or sweat gland, which ducks down below the skin surface, is also lined by epithelium, and it's full of bacteria, and these are the good commensal bacterias. But it's also, that's where the oils are secreted that protect your skin from the sun and pathogens and damage and keep your skin subtle and, and elastic and, and that you know, first line of defense I was talking about with your nasal mucosa, that goes over your whole skin. So if you're bathing in chlorinated water, you're oxidizing those oils and you're um, pretty much waging war on those good commensal bacteria on your skin. And um, that then sets you up for, you know, dry skin, aging skin, so your skin will prematurely age, you know, brittle hair, um, a whole range of hair and skin conditions that... You know, people will spend a fortune on creams and, and lotions and medicines, but, you know, just, just a water filter and good water will improve that. And um, as just a, as a beauty product, um, you know, beauty products all talk about hydration and moisturising and um, cleansing. Well, the best hydration, moisturising or cleansing product is good quality water. Um, and if you're not using good quality water and using all these other expensive products, well, then you're probably just wasting your time and your money. Yeah, I was just saying. So water, water is um, it's such an amazing, mysterious substance, but it's one of the basic requirements, or it is the basic requirement for life. Yet people don't think about, just like heat. People don't think about it or take it seriously. Or well, water, people, oh yeah, you know, maybe I'll get a filter for my tap, but um, they don't really consider the impact the water has on their whole life and and their biome. I've been thinking recently about water, and the ability for it to detoxify our body if we're actually consuming it straight out of the the tap, say it's town water, does um, purified, structured, vortexed water actually have a better capacity to detoxify and dissolve uh, toxins and poisons when it's in your system than something that's already full of pollutants like something coming out of your tap? Well, certainly, I mean, if you're drinking tap water, then you are drinking water that's not just full of um, intentional toxic toxicants like chlorine and fluoride, which are, you know, highly toxic, but also these what they call emerging contaminants. And that includes pharmaceutical residues, you know, microplastics, nanoparticles, pesticides, a whole range of industrial chemicals, as well as, you know, heavy metals and um, sediments and, and then microbial, you know, spores and bacteria and viruses, etc. So there's a... You know, we should call it tap liquid. It's not really tap water because it's a whole um, liquid full of stuff. So that's, you know, it, you know improving that is, is a really um, sort of basic thing you can do. Um, but in terms of its ability to detoxify, well, the research just hasn't been done. I mean, even the research on the um, effect of chlorine on the gut microbiome hasn't been done, even though... The, is that right? Yeah, well, there's a study going on in Perth right now um, in infants where it's a cohort study where they're comparing infants um, 
you know, drinking chlorinated water versus um, filtered water and looking at their microbiome development. But, um, you know, it, it's common sense that, you know, a, certainly an infant when it's developing its microbiome is much more susceptible to antibiotics but also to chlorinated water. And, in fact, the NHMRC, NHMR, you know, the National Health and Medical Research Council in Australia, um, recommend in their infant feeding guidelines to boil water before you make infant formula for babies because you don't want to feed babies chlorinated water while they're in that very delicate window of development of when they're developing their microbiome. Um, so could chlorine and other contaminants from water be passed through to a breastfeeding child through the milk? Um I don't. I mean, the stuff that I, I probably not because water's polar, and you know, milk is is. Um, I mean, lipophilic toxicants come through the milk, um, so you know, and that's been well documented that you know DDT and PCBs and all these um, lipophilic toxicants get passed through breast milk, and and actually the mother detoxifies through her breast milk. So if you're a first child, you get a much higher dose of those um, toxicants than if you're a second or third child because the mother's detoxified into the first child. Um, but as far as water, it's really if you're preparing like a you know, packet formula and you're using tap water to do that, um, that's when you know the chlorine will go into the infant formula. And it's much, you know, all the NHMRC recommendations are to boil water before you use it for making up an infant formula um, because of the unknown effect on the microbiome. But we're still, you know, researching that. Uh, but we know that the reason why they put chlorine in their water is because it's so toxic and at 0.2 to 0.6 parts per million. And it's sort of this policy we have, it's, um, you know, it's a public health sort of uh, principle that's been used, which is um, health through poison. You know, we put, we put, we'll put poison in your water to make it healthy and we'll put, you know, poison in vaccines to make them effective and we'll put poison on our food to make it, you know, more nutritious. So, there's been a policy, it's almost an anti-life policy of health through poison. And, um, you know, at a public health level, um, you know, it might be appropriate to get rid of, you know, cholera and typhoid for that breaks. But at a personal level, um, you know, you, you want to av avoid drinking and bathing in um, water that's that's been poisoned. Um, as I say, you know, drinking less poison is good for you. you know, bathing in less poison is good for you. <laughs> and, um, and if you don't... Makes sense. Yeah. And if you don't use a filter, you are a filter. Um, mm. Again, you know, you don't need a medical degree or you know, two PhDs to to understand that. It's just basic. Yeah, if I don't use a filter, then I am being the filter, and all the stuff, all the crap's getting caught up in my body. And what's what's that going to do to me? And we just have to look at um, what that's doing to the population. There's a great um, research article that came out at the start of this year, where they um, postulated that um, chlorine in drinking water um, could be one of the implicated in virtually all chronic disease because pretty much all chronic disease, um, you know, modern lifestyle diseases are related to inflammation and gut dysbiosis. And um, if the chlorine in our water, you know, which is designed to do, kills bacteria and it's causing gut dysbiosis, then there's a huge public health impact of um, using chlorine, chlorinated water that's just unrecognised, it's unmonitored, and um, and it's completely avoidable. So you know, and the whole idea. I mean, even if we think about our um, water distribution system, you know, often it's very very old. There's biofilm, there's sediment, there's rust, there's lead, um, and you know, and, and also when you put chlorine in water, chlorine will leach lead out of you know galvanized or you know lead solder. It'll leach copper and causes pitting and causes leaks, but um, it'll actually make any toxicity, you know, heavy metals and stuff within the distribution system become released and more toxic. So there really is um, so many reasons to have point-of-use filtration rather than saying, oh, let's filter it for the whole community because then it has to go through the distribution line and then, you know, biofilm and sediment and heavy metals get introduced. So it's, um, you know, it's left up to our own personal um, actions to take responsibility for our health and, um yeah, try and get the best water source possible. And, you know, people are really keen. And, and um, even though I've got a whole house water filter, um, I, mean, I love going to my local spring. And there's a, a website, findaspring.com. And that has a, a list of all the natural spring water sources. Um, and you can just go and, you know, for free and get, you know, natural spring water. And um, I recommend, you know, people do that. Find out where your local spring is, you know, protect it, use it. 
and um, then you've got a free source of water that's much, much higher quality than any bottled water you can ever buy. And that's really, really valuable advice. I'm not sure that well, I've certainly never thought about something like that. I'll, I'll have to check that website out. What was the Spring, I think it's .com. could be .org. Um, and um, it's a great website. And I must say, it's like it almost for me when I go there, I take my kids there, Mount Donabuang in, in um, you know, just about an hour and a half drive out of, out of Melbourne is where I go. And it's like a, you know, it's like a pilgrimage. You go out into nature, you get the water. Often I see friends there or, and often you'll see all these people of all different you know, ethnic backgrounds coming with their, you know, demijohns and their bottles to fill up the spring water because they know it's really good because they're doing home bottling and stuff. And it's, it's also, yeah, if you're doing home fermentation and home bottling, you want to have really good water. So this, you know, it's, it's actually a really great thing to get in touch with your local spring. Um, and it's, it's, you get a connection for where your water's coming from. And I've got this sort of personal, I don't know, mission to get rid of plastic water bottles. And um, that's a huge mission because there are 500 billion, billion with a B, plastic water bottles made every year. Unbelievable. Yeah. So this company I've created, Beautiful Water, um, which has these different, the whole house filters and under sink filters, um, I'm encouraging um, health practitioners to become affiliates and, and you know, pass those filters on to their patients, but also to install one of these filters into their clinics or their you know, conscious restaurant or yoga yoga studio or wherever wherever they've got an outlet and give that water away for free. Now, when the water comes out of these filters, it costs about a third of one cent so you know, per litre. So, you know, you can give away a third of a cent per litre of water. But it means um, – and uh, there's a website, um, an, an app called Refill My Bottle, and you can then find where your nearest – you know, free beautiful water outlet is or free, you know, um, water source is. But if you've got, if you're giving away this water for free, then anyone in your vicinity that's selling plastic water bottles will hopefully sell less of them. And people right. will start to know, yeah, I can get, why would I buy a plastic water bottle for three bucks? I can go and fill my water bottle with a better quality water um, here for, for nothing. And, you know, to start that as a movement, to not, to, you know, oppose, and, and my philosophy is uh, rather than oppose what I don't want I want to create what I do want and I want I want to be able to go around the world and have these free beautiful water outlets that I can go anywhere and, and know that people are taking care of that water and um, I don't have to spend money on you know a lot of money often on bottled water which is damaging the planet and probably damaging me as well just even the water because the water quality in bottled water is not nearly as high quality as, as when let's as sort of they advertising would like us to believe so if people can't get a hold of of um, the water that you're talking about right now, what's the best way for them to store their water if it's not in plastic? What's your opinion there? Um, I mean, what, this is such a complex topic. So, um, I mean, at home, I've got a, um, a ceramic egg that holds about 42 litres that I put my water in at home, and that's a, it's designed by um, sort of Victor Schauberger principles. So it's a ceramic egg shape, and that egg shape – because um, it's ceramic, it, the water can evaporate through the ceramic, so the water stays cool. But then the cool water will drop to the bottom, and then the warm water will rise to the top. So the water is continually moving, just because of the shape of the of the water vessel. Um, so, because water um, to keep it sort of alive, um, and water is alive, but to keep it you know, um, having a, a you know, an energy to it and a structure to it, it, it likes to keep moving. Once you've got water, you know, trapped and stagnant. Um, it loses these sort of life-giving properties. But, you know, it's unavoidable. So, you know, we all need to carry around water. I mean, ideally, you want to have sources of good water wherever you go. You don't have to carry it around. But, um, yeah, I, I think stainless steel is better than, certainly better than plastic and it's reusable. Um, and then there are all these different devices. that You can you can create a, a like a vortex device yourself um, for, you know, less than a dollar um, or almost for no money. And um, there, there's... You can go into the internet and um, look how to make them. But basically, you get um, two bottle caps and you glue them sort of cap to cap, end to end, and drill a hole through. And then you, you screw two bottles on those caps, one bottle full, one bottle empty, and you turn it upside down like a big hourglass or a big um, egg timer. And the water will then go from the top bottle that's upside down through the, the hole that you've drilled, and it will actually form the whole water as it goes down will form a vortex. And that vortex is literally structured water. A vortex is a structure that the water forms. And, and vortexes form in nature. I mean, galaxies from you know, air turbulence all form vortices. 
and having that structure in the water actually makes the water uh, what we call exclusion zone water, which is um, d- described as the fourth phase of water. And that's um, sort of being introduced to us by Gerald Pollack, who um, has written a great book and he's got a, um, a really good TED talk on the fourth phase of water. And he calls it exclusion zone water because um, when water becomes structured, it excludes solutes. It actually becomes more pure and it becomes more structured. And, and actually at that point, um, it becomes not just H2O, it's actually H3O2 because it forms these hexagonal sheets. And that's that's the form of water that's in our bodies. I mean, if we're 99.9% water, you know, how come we're not puddles on the floor? And the reason is because, you know, we're structured water and, you know, the our skeletons and the, and the other big biomole- biological molecules are sort of a product of that structure. So, yeah, having, you know, structuring our water, there's also... Um, uh, magnetic devices that you can use, which again, very cheap and um, um, you know, you know, they can be reused again and again. And they've done research, um, you know, reasonable research on this, where they've looked at um, using magnetic water treatments for producing concrete and producing bread and for growing agri- agriculture. And what they found is that if you magnetize water and use it to make a dough, you get a moister dough and a better quality bread. If you use magnetized water and use it to make concrete, you get a um, a stronger concrete mix. So you know, demonstrably stronger just from putting magnets in the water for the magnets before you create your concrete mix. And then um, if you do that in agriculture, you can get a, a higher agricultural yield with less water. So you get up to like thirty percent more produce with you know twenty or thirty percent less water. And in a country like Australia, that's that's incredible. But again, the, these products, while they're out there, they're not that well well promoted. Um, they're not that well understood. Um, water is there. Are, there are seventy two scientific anomalies about water that we still don't understand. So we're still a long way to go. And, and I, I really believe that you know, as we understand water better, we'll understand ourselves because we are water. Um, but in, you, know, you don't have to understand all that stuff to know that you know when you're drinking good water and bathing in good good water, you feel better. And um, so yeah, people become more aware um, of the water and also more conscious of their water. And again, you know, I've got these filters, which we've just spent more than six months creating a design that goes on these filters that has sacred geometry and sort of magical imbued symbols and blessings that says, you know, I love you, I respect you, I thank you, I bless you, I am you, over and over again on the, in the design. Um, but you don't need all of that sort of you know, magical woo-woo stuff, even though it looks beautiful and it you know, brings consciousness to that water. Um, all you need to do is you know, create a little image, create a, a blessing, whatever is meaningful to you, and put that where your water comes from. might be just you know, wrap it around the, t- the pipe that comes into your house. And just having done that, you actually create a conscious connection to where your water's coming from. And even that will change your relationship with the with what the water that you have from there and i think anything we can do to raise our consciousness and our awareness of of water both you know the water that we absorb and drink and bathe in but also the water that's inside us um is really beneficial and then then you get into you know the water in your house and humidity and water damage and dampness and mold so you know we live in this zone of you know 60 you know 40 to 60 percent humidity below 40 percent we get Viruses above seventy percent, we get mold. So you know, we want to keep the water vapor and, and you know the ecosystem in our home really um, sort of supportive of our lives. So and there is so much you can do. I mean the, the, these you know, I mean my water filters are the best I, I could find. And the reason why I went into that wasn't because I wanted to become a water filter salesman. It's just um, that I've been talking about toxicity and and these topics for so long, and there wasn't a water filter on the market that I could say this is the one to get. Yet I saw that there were all these different individual elements existed and that, you know, I could put them together. So that's what I've done. You know, the highest quality cartridges from Russia and the stainless steel um, canisters and and the Vortex devices, which we're getting from Switzerland and putting it all together with these designs. Um, Yeah, so that's, you know, it's... um, it's been a journey and it's, and it's an ongoing journey, but it's, um, there are so many things you can do yourself, like just have a hot bath and, and wait a while or um, um, go to your local spring or, you know, make your own blessing and put that on your water. And all these things can really upgrade the water that you're, you know, you're using, but the water of, of who you are. I think it's so important that you're doing that work because everybody focuses so much on 
the food or the quality of, of the food that they're eating. And mm-hmm. very seldom do people actually think about water. Um, it's absolutely fascinating all the, the things that you've been mentioning. And one of the things that you that have stuck with me that you mentioned earlier on was the fact that people are really fearful about uh, what's going on in the world at the moment because they don't feel like they've got control over their own health and they don't realize that they can take some control uh, over their own health. It doesn't need to be left up to the doctor or the naturopath or the nutritionist. And something as, as simple as getting access to uh, quality water can can do that. Yeah, well, um, I've, been, I've been studying, what, since I started medicine in 1982. So, you know, nearly 40 years I've been at university studying all this stuff from, you know, Western medical perspective and natural medical perspective, Eastern medical perspective. And recently I've been trying to summarise all this knowledge into, you know, information to make it useful to people. And, you know, I didn't intend this, but it's been coming out as poetry. So I've got a poem, which is the recipe for wellness. And, um, you know, it's, and it's simple. And the recipe for wellness is bathe in beautiful water, prepare delicious food. Make the most of every breath, dance through every mood. Tend the soil beneath your feet, embrace sunshine from above. Share your gifts with all the world, fill your life with love. So that that's simple. It's not, Wonder, it's, it's not wonderful. Yeah. I really, really liked that. So that's and yeah, they're the things I'm trying to promote. That doesn't cost any money or you know, take a lot of time or equipment, um, but it is really profoundly um, transformative. And it's a message that more people need to get uh, or receive, uh, Professor Cohen, because there are those things that seem so simple that have a profound effect on our health. And I think if more people make those changes, they'll actually see drastic or really significant effects in uh, improvements in their health. I think so many people feel as though they have no control and if there is something that goes wrong with their health, the only person that can help them is their doctor and and there's no way for them to actually do anything to get themselves better. Um, And the more that we... Yeah, it's so important. Um, I'll just... I think we're going to end up soon, but I'll share you what one other poem that just came out recently because I've been trying to, you know, how do you counter the fear that's out there? Because there is so much fear around. And, you know, my whole life I've always said, you know, rather than fight what I don't want, I'm going to you know, concentrate and focus on creating what I do want. Um, and then I was contemplating how do I get that message out? And I just, this poem came out, which is, I call the antidote to fear. So the antidote to fear is foster love of poetry, express yourself through dance. Fill your life with fun and joy, friendship and romance. Focus on the world you want. Be the change you want to see. Spread goodwill to all you meet. Live fearless and free. And again, that's, it's simple. That's a wonderful way to sum up everything that we've been talking about today, uh, Professor Cohen. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I know that you're a very busy man and you've probably got a lot of uh, other things to get done today but I, I do appreciate your time and I'm sure that everyone listening today will also really appreciate what you've spoken about I've learned so much in the last hour with you thank you so much for being here today it's my pleasure and um, if people want to find out more um, extremewellness.co is my website where you can find filters and my poetry and and um, drmark.co I have you know, more than 100 peer-reviewed papers and my books and, and other information there. They can find out you know, more about me. And um, we're just creating this online protestable right now, and it's protestable.co, which is pretty, you know, putting just good vibe music out there, and we're, we're going to have workshops and information on um, health and you know, legal information and you know, different knowledge, and, um, which is like an online festival that we've created as a Melbourneian response to you know, the, the lockdowns that we're, we're living under here and um yeah that to really to transcend fear and just raise human spirit and then you know get above that whole dross of you know what's happening in the media and um you know the fear-mongering that's going on and um you know, come back to who we are and you know that and that that is 
you know, we're, we're meant to be healthy, you know. Recipe for wellness is simple. It's, it's not complicated, but let's just focus on what's important. And that's what I'm trying to do with all of my communications is getting people to really focus on what's important, get in touch with themselves. And, you know, when you're at peace with yourself, then you know, doing the right thing becomes obvious. And it becomes obvious what you need to do. But when you're scared um, and you're not in touch with yourself, then, you know, you can be led down these paths that um, are really quite damaging. And that's what I'm hoping to avoid. You're an absolute wealth of knowledge, Professor Cohen. Thank you so much. Okay. I, uh, I've really resonated with a lot of things that you've said today and I've actually got pages and pages of notes here. I'm going to have to go back and actually listen to this myself, I think. So well, it's, it's I so really appreciate to, your yeah, time. Well, it's so great to be able to lecture on topics that I want to tell rather than I was you know, teaching in universities for you know, nearly 30 years. And now I get to just talk about the stuff I want to. So thanks for the platform. Um, congratulations on what you're doing and you know, good luck with your PhD and getting positive mes- messages out there. And um, yeah, um, I'm really grateful for what you're doing and the opportunity to come on your show. So thank you. Not a problem. And I would love to have you back sometime because uh, I just want to keep going. But <laughs> I, I know that uh, that time is, is very precious. Well, maybe, well, maybe we can do a, a part two. Let's, let's schedule that in at some stage. And possibly a part three. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Professor Mark Cohen. Everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com slash podcast and join the discussion. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and become part of our growing community of like-minded health professionals. Until next time.